Um, we are, um, I guess, getting near the end of our, our journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I'm going to begin. I'm going to begin here this morning. Um, one of the the most interesting, fascinating books that I've I read over the last couple of years is a book called I Am, I Am, I Am. Uh, Maggie O'Farrell is best known as an award-winning novelist and fiction writer, uh, but this book is non-fiction, um, and you may be able to see at the bottom the the subtitle is Seventeen Brushes with Death, um, and it's kind of a memoir in which she reflects on 17 moments in her life when she's come near to death, either her own death or the death of a child. Um, um, I think she's had quite an unusual number of those kind of incidents in her life, uh, but it's an extraordinary account of those brushes with death. Uh, Maggie O'Farrell talks about how um, those, those brushes with death have led her to, to realize that there's a very fine membrane separating any of us from death. And she says this, she says, we are, we are, all of us, wandering about in a state of oblivion, borrowing our time, seizing our days, escaping our fates, slipping through loopholes, unaware of when the axe may fall. Um, and Maggie O'Farrell talks about how those brushes with death have changed her. And she says, They've left her altered, wiser, and sadder. But also, as you read the book, you realize they've also made her more grateful and more thankful for the days that she has been given. And that's a, a book that's out there in our culture from a best-selling author, maybe talking about something people don't like to talk about very much, but trying to face it head on. Um, that all of us are maybe at any moment just a step away from, from death. Um, th that's going to help us maybe a little bit and we'll come back to Maggie O'Farrell later um, and what we're going to think about this morning uh, but let me just orient us where we are in the book of Ecclesiastes um, the first six chapters of Ecclesiastes um, contain a lot of repeated themes as we go through but especially have been talking about the empty pursuit of wealth and pleasure and success and knowledge and again and again the teacher has said that all of this, all of that pursuit, which takes up so much of human activity on earth, all of it is hevel, which means vapor or mist or breath. And all of it is like chasing after the wind. So that's been the repeated theme again and again all through the first six chapters. Um, but now, whenever we come to chapter seven, um, we find a kind of change of tone uh, because... Uh, in the next little section of the book, we, we, we have kind of a collection of short, pithy wisdom sayings, uh, which may remind you a little bit of the book of Proverbs. If you've read Proverbs, it's full of these little sayings, which are, are commonly known as Proverbs. Um, and, and you'll find as you read Ecclesiastes, it, it reminds you a bit of Proverbs when it gets into those kind of little sayings, but also is a little bit different. And we're going to think a little bit this morning about some of the differences between Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Uh, but let's, let's read so I can show you uh, what we're talking about. So this is the beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And this is what it says. A good name is better than fine perfume. And the day of death 
better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless or havel or vapor. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. That's as much as we're going to read this morning. We may, we'll refer to a few other uh, bits as we go. Um, I wonder how you found, even as I read those, I wonder how you found the experience of listening to a series of wisdom proverbs like that. Um, I find sometimes these kind of passages kind of difficult to read, um, maybe because there, there's kind of lots of little nuggets of wisdom, almost like beads on a thread, and you feel like you're kind of jumping from one to the other. Um, and it can feel a little bit bitty. And sometimes there's a, a shared theme running through them all, but sometimes they seem to jump quite a lot from one, you're thinking about one thing and then you're thinking about something very different. And it, it can be quite hard to listen to and quite hard to read or to know uh, how to approach it. And maybe right at the beginning, I want to suggest that the best way to read these kinds of proverbs is often to read one and then pause. It's very hard to take in more than one at a time. Um, but maybe to take in one and then chew on it for a while. Um, I realize it sounds like I'm telling you to chew wooden beads. Don't put wooden beads in your mouth. Um, but take one and, and chew on it for a while. Um, it, I think this is what the Bible itself calls meditating on scripture, which I think is a practice that we've maybe kind of lost. Um, it's a little bit different to studying the Bible. It's taking a little bit of scripture and then chewing on it for a while and turning it over in your mind and heart, gnawing on it a little bit like a dog with a bone. That's what meditating is, to get the good out of it. Uh, one writer calls it, says, uh, says it this way, tuck it in the pocket of your heart and walk around with it. I think that's a lovely expression. Tuck it in the pocket of your heart and walk around with it and see what comes to light. Um, as you do that. So that's kind of a first little um, encouragement or recommendation when you're reading Proverbs. Don't try and take 20 of them in in one go. Take one and meditate on it and carry it around with you um, for a while. Um, as you do that, you may start to discover um, this, that um, there are different kinds of Proverbs. And I want to mention maybe two broad categories. Um, some 
Some Proverbs, as you read them, are deceptively simple. And I deliber I'm deliberately saying deceptively because they seem simple, by which I mean you read them and you immediately think, that's true, right? You, you read it and go, that's wise, that is wisdom, that is true. You, your heart immediately agrees with it. Um, but they're deceptively simple because there's so much depth of meaning there. And if you tuck it in your heart and walk around with it, you'll find that it keeps revealing new things. And one apparently simple little proverb will spark all kinds of thoughts in you as you carry it around. Um, so let me mention some of the ones that I think might fall into that category so that we would ag immediately agree with. Um, it's better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. I immediately go, I, I love that. Um, we immediately see the wisdom of it. Um, far better to listen to difficult, uncomfortable, wise word from someone who's wise than to have fools singing your praises, right? But if you tuck that in your heart and walk around with it, it'll, it'll pop and explode all over the place. Um, do not uh, be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Right? There's another one. It's not that difficult to understand. You carry that around with you for a week and start to notice the moments when you feel provoked in your spirit or where anger starts to bubble up and it's going to reveal all kinds of wisdom to you. Um, or one that I, I think gets a real kind of huh reaction from us. Um, do not say, why were the old days better than these? Becomes more and more tempting as you get older. Um, do, not, do not say that because it is not wise to ask such questions. That's not a difficult proverb to understand. It's very difficult to apply. Tuck it in your heart and just start to notice when you're tempted uh, to talk in that way. Um, they're deceptively simple. Um, uh, we understand them quickly, but it takes a while for them to um, impact and shape our hearts and our lives. But you may also find that there are other Proverbs as you start to meditate on them that are not simple, that are puzzling and maybe a little bit provocative. Um, and instead of our first reaction being, of course that's true, um, our first reaction may be, what? <laughs> um, and I think there's quite a few in Ecclesiastes where we might have that kind of reaction. They are counterintuitive. They're not obviously true. But I want to suggest that if you tuck them in the pocket of your heart and walk around with them and puzzle over them and maybe talk to other people about them and wonder about them together, their wisdom will start to come to light. They're not immediately and obviously true, but their wisdom will come to light as you puzzle over them. You're meant to have that reaction um, of saying what uh, whenever you, you read them. And you may have already had that reaction this morning as I was reading. So here's a few that get that reaction from me. The day of death is better than the day of birth. What? <laughs> right? What is that about? Um, and immediately after it, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Something in our heart immediately is puzzled. What does that mean? What could that mean? Um, those two that I've just mentioned, we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, in a moment. Um, let me mention another one that I didn't read this morning that comes up a little later. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Right? That gets a reaction from me. What does that mean? 
how can we be over-righteous? Um, we can go over the top in too much righteousness, too much wisdom. Um, I'm not going to help you with that one this morning, right? I want to leave it with you. Puzzle over it. If you're having coffee with someone this week, ask them what they think it might mean. Chew over it together. See what might come uh, to light. So um, that's kind of just a general introduction to these kinds of wisdom sayings. Take them one at a time, meditate on them, chew on them. Some of them will be deceptively simple, but all kinds of wisdom will come to light as you chew on them. Some of them will be really puzzling, but as you puzzle and talk and explore, um, again, all kinds of wisdom will come to light. Um, I said a moment ago that the wisdom sayings in Ecclesiastes are similar to those in Proverbs, but they're also in some ways quite different in tone and in emphasis. Um, and both voices, the voice of Proverbs and the voice of Ecclesiastes, have something really vital to teach us. They're both in God's word for a reason. Um, but I want to highlight this morning maybe two of the key differences where Ecclesiastes has quite a distinctive flavor compared to Proverbs. Um, and the first one is the one that I'm going to focus on this morning, um, which is this. It's that wisdom is found in facing the reality of death. The, the second one we'll come to in a moment, I'm going to deal with much more briefly. So this is the main one that I want to, I want to focus on. Um, if you ask the book of Proverbs, where can I find wisdom? It will tend to say, spend time in the company of the wise, right? Those who walk with the wise grow wise. Um, or um, listen carefully to wise teaching and wise instruction, whether it's from your parents or from other wise voices in your life. So listen to the wise, keep company with the wise, and you'll grow wise. That's good advice. If you ask the book of Ecclesiastes, where can I find wisdom? It says, go to a funeral. Right? Go to the house of mourning. Twice in the passage that we read this morning, it talked about the house of mourning. There is something to be learned in the presence of death which can't be learned in any other way. There is wisdom to be found there. And as we're going to see as we go this morning, there's even joy to be found there that can't be found in any other way. Um, so I want to think about this a little bit with you this morning. I know it's a big, a big topic and can be a heavy topic, uh, but there's wisdom to be found um, as we think about it. Um, two of my favorite music artists, and as always, I'll say I'm not recommending them. You may not like them. Um, Suvian Stevens and Nick Cave, um, two very different artists, um, united by the fact that both of them have suffered um, loss in recent years. Uh, Suvian Stevens lost his mother uh, a few years ago. Uh, Nick Cave lost a teenage son in a very tragic accident. But what both of them have in common is they both turned their grief into songs of heartbreaking honesty and beauty. Um, both of them wrestled with their grief in their songs and their songwriting. Um, in one of Suvian's songs, as he worked through and reflected on uh, the death of his mother, um, he keeps repeating one simple line to a very beautiful melody that simply says, we're all going to die, we're all going to die, we're all going to die. He's reflecting on something that he maybe hadn't reflected on before. Um, one of the things I found fascinating and, in, and 
moving and in the end very uplifting was um, when you go and find their mu this music um, by, by these two artists um, on YouTube. Um, and you know I often have a rant about YouTube. And, um, but if you, if you go to the comments section below where they have shared this music uh, with the world, um, and usually the comments section on YouTube is kind of a place of nonsense um, and sometimes of meanness and cruelty and crudeness and all kinds of stuff. But if you go below these songs of grief from Suvian Stevens and Nick Cave, you find there, here are these little corners of the internet full of kindness and honesty. People who are dying, telling their story to other people. People who have lost someone they love coming to tell their story. And people speaking encouragement and gratitude and reflecting on what matters in life. And there are conversations about God and about heaven and about faith because both of those artists wrestle with those things as well. Um, if you click on any of the, the songs that are on YouTube that are chirpy and cheerful and poppy, you won't find that kind of conversation going on. Sometimes it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. There's wisdom to be found there that can't be found anywhere else. I guess I was reflecting on this, that um, people sometimes ask me, um, out of curiosity, you know, what are my favorite parts of my job as I work for a church? Um, and I hope, you know, I love preaching and I, I get excited about that. And I love one-to-one -one conversations with people wrestling with questions of faith. And there's, there's all kinds of things that I love. But one of the bits that I sometimes hesitate to say to people because it sounds odd is one of the great privileges of my job is going into the homes of people who are dying or the homes of people who've lost a loved one and being involved in preparing funerals and services of thanksgiving in church and at the graveside and being with people in the house of mourning. There's something about those moments where something happens, where death strips away a lot of the things that don't matter and kind of strips away the froth and the nonsense and the illusions and the distractions that often surround our lives. Death clarifies the things that really matter. And so in those times, people speak about what they've loved in their life and they, what they loved about the person who's died. And they speak about what they've learned and about what they're grateful for and sometimes about what they regret. And they're also open to speak about what happens after death. There's an openness of heart in those moments and to speak about the hope of resurrection and of heaven and of life eternal um, and the, these realities. Um, that's a little bit, I think, of why the teacher says the day of death is better than the day of birth. He's provoking us, but he's doing it deliberately. There's more wisdom to be found at a funeral than at a baby shower, right? You, you rarely come away, I don't know, I haven't been to baby, many baby showers, but I'm imagining you rarely come away with your life changed. Maybe you do. Um, but it can happen very much at a funeral. Something happens um, as we reflect on the reality of death. There are moments of honesty and truth-telling and moments of gratitude and surprising joy and moments of love and kindness and encouragement and gospel hope that happen in the house of mourning. Um, some of us 
Uh, I've had the privilege in recent times of visiting with Grant and Gillian in their home. Um, Grant and Gillian have recently made the decision to stop chemotherapy for Grant, and so Grant's been told by doctors that from their point of view, uh, from the medical point of view, his time is limited. Yet every time I've gone to that house, I, I always go in the same way. I always go in determined I'm going to be a real encouragement to them. And I always come away profoundly encouraged and uplifted by them. And Grant and Gillian are really honest about the things on this journey that are really, really hard. They're not trying to minimize. It's really hard. There's great sorrow uh, in the journey around uh, wrestling with death. And yet, Grant and Gillian will tell you they have also had a profound sense of God's presence and experiences of joy and gratitude like they've never had before. As I sat with them in their conservatory, Grant told me, he said, I've made a decision to stop wondering how many days I have left and to start counting the days that I've been given since my diagnosis. And so when I was with him, he said, I've had 159 so far. And tomorrow I'm going to get up and say, this is 160, and I'm grateful. Um, and Grant looked me in the eye and told me that there is a gratitude that has come. Um, he pointed at the cup of coffee on the table, said, that's the best cup of coffee I've ever tasted. I'm enjoying every cup of coffee. I'm enjoying every ray of sunshine in the garden. I'm enjoying every leaf of every tree like I've never done before. And it's also led to a deep appreciation of the things that matter, of family and of friendship. Um, it's also led Grant to reflect on things he wants to do before he's gone. And he's been thinking about relationships in his life where there's a bit of brokenness or a bit of tension. And he's been reaching out to people to seek reconciliation, to ask forgiveness, to make peace between people in his family who are not talking to each other. Um, he's doing the things that really matter um, in, in these days. And he has a great desire every day to talk about Jesus with whoever he's talking to, um, whether they know Jesus already or not, and to talk about the hope of heaven. When you go and see Grant, he wants to talk about what's waiting for him and talk about glory and talk about Jesus. Um, it does me more good to be in that house than any party anybody's ever invited me to. Right? Sometimes it's better to be in the house of mourning than the house uh, of feasting. And I guess I was thinking about um, Maggie O'Farrell, who I talked about at the beginning. You know, Maggie O'Farrell's not a Christian. And so for her, as she wrestles with um, these brushes with death, for her, the, the membrane that separates us from death is a membrane that separates us from oblivion. Her view is once, once we're gone, we're gone. But for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, um, who believe that Jesus has gone through death and out the other side, and Jesus says, I am the living one, um, and behold, I have the keys of death and the grave. Right? If we believe that, that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me will live even though they die, then for us, as we trust in him, the membrane is not separating us from oblivion. It's separating us from more life than we have ever imagined. Deeper life, better life, more beautiful life than any of us has ever imagined. No eye has seen, 
no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him, right? And so we don't need to be afraid to talk about these things. Um, I guess I've been struck that earlier generations of Christians were better at talking about this maybe than we are. Um, earlier generations of Christians used to talk about preparing for a good death. One of the best-selling Christian books of the 17th century was a book called Holy Living and Holy Dying. Right? They were talking about this. How do you live well and how do you die well? Right? I remember reading or hearing that in some monastic orders, um, when a monk had died after the funeral and the burial, the other monks would dig another grave and then stand around it and reflect together on the fact that one of them would be next. And maybe to our modern way of thinking, we sometimes think that sounds really morbid, but I want to suggest to you it's the opposite. In our culture, the main way we deal with death is either by denying it and just putting our fingers in our ears and saying, I don't want to think about it, or just by living in great fear. And we kind of, I think we swing between the two. The teacher in Ecclesiastes would say, this is where we find wisdom. As we face the reality of death, there is a breakthrough to wisdom. There is a breakthrough to freedom. There's a breakthrough to joy. Um, what if instead of living in denial and in fear, we learn to live like Grant? Right? You don't have to wait till you get a diagnosis to learn to live like Grant. Knowing that our days on earth are limited, that life is hevel, that it is breath and vapor, knowing, as Sivian Stephen sings, that we're all going to die. But receiving today as a gift, getting up every day and saying, I get another one. Um, being grateful for every sign of God's goodness, whether it's big or small. Pursuing today the things that really matter, which in the end are all about loving God and loving others. And holding in our hearts every day the hope of glory and the hope of life eternal. What if we learn to live like that and prepare for not only um, living well, but also for dying well? Ecclesiastes helps us do that. Um, let me finish by talking for a couple of minutes about another, another difference between Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and I, I just want to talk about this briefly. Um, the book of Proverbs celebrates wisdom without hesitation. And so as you're reading Proverbs, it will say again and again, pursue wisdom, get wisdom at all costs, love wisdom. Wis just wisdom is great, right? That's the book of Proverbs. Uh, the teacher in Ecclesiastes um, agrees that wisdom is a good thing. We read that in verse 11. Um, it will benefit us. It will preserve us. Several times in the book, he says, wisdom is better than folly. So he agrees that wisdom is good. Um, later on in chapter 8, uh, one of my favorite little sayings of his, he says, a person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard expression, hard, its hard appearance. And I love that. You can spot genuine wisdom because it, it lights up a person's face. You can see it in the brightness of their face. It changes their hard appearance. Um, and so Ecclesiastes and Proverbs agree that wisdom is good and something very precious. Um, but if you've been reading Ecclesiastes, you've probably noticed that at other times, the teacher is more hesitant 
So he says things like this uh, in chapter 7, verse 23. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. <laughs> Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So he's pursuing wisdom because it's a good thing to pursue, but he's recognizing that an awful lot of things just remain beyond him, beyond his reach. When you get to chapter 8, verse 16, he says, No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. So he agrees that wisdom is a good thing, but he also wants to say that wisdom has limits. L wisdom can't take us all the way. Um, it can't teach us everything we want to know. Um, no matter how much wisdom we manage to gain, there will still be many, many, many things that are beyond us, beyond our understanding and our comprehension. The wisest people who've ever lived, I think, knew this. So Socrates, who was probably the greatest of the Greek philosophers, uh, famously said, wisest is the one who knows they do not know, right? Wisest is the person who knows that there's an awful lot that they don't know, that they don't understand. Um, or if you prefer, Winnie the Pooh um, regularly says, I am a bear of very little brain, right? <laughs> he's, a, he's very aware of being a creature who is limited who can't understand everything in this vast world and universe that we live in. And part of true wisdom, according, according to Ecclesiastes, is learning to accept our limitations, including the limitations of our minds and our understanding and our wisdom. Our minds are amazing, and we're encouraged in Ecclesiastes and in Proverbs to run after understanding and run after wisdom and seek to understand um, things uh, that are going on in our world. So by all means, pursue wisdom and gain understanding. But there's something in Ecclesiastes saying, don't become too impressed by your own wisdom. Right? Don't become a know-it-all. Don't become a theological snob. Don't be too impressed by yourself and your own wisdom. Um, and again, for me, as I reflect on this, I think there's a surprising joy to be found here in recognizing our own limits. When we think that we can understand everything, we become very serious. Lorraine encouraged us earlier not to take ourselves too seriously. When we think we can understand everything, we can become very heavy, very serious. Um, we need to show off to everybody how much we know. We need to correct anybody who's wrong about anything all the time. We become very hard in our expression, unlike the bright face that Ecclesiastes encourages. I think there's joy and freedom to be found in saying, do you know what? I don't know. <laughs> there's, a, there's a wonderful, delighted freedom in coming to the limits of our understanding and saying, I don't know. It's beyond me. It's beyond my comprehension. Um, it's good to be grateful for whatever wisdom God has given us. Um, but also being aware that I am always a bear of very little brain. That I always see through a glass darkly. I only ever see in part, I only ever understand in part this side of glory. And there will always be far, far more that I don't know than that I do know.
that I don't understand and that I do, things that are beyond me. And I think that can lead to a profound sense of humility, um, a sense of our own limits and smallness, which is really good for us to realize that we're little creatures. Uh, and I think also a sense of relief. I don't need to try to understand everything. And I think it can also lead to a sense of wonder and mystery and awe and worship, where we look to the one whose wisdom is far beyond ours. Right? As Sarah said, he sees the big picture, he understands all, he comprehends all. And we come to the limits of our understanding and we come to a place of humility, but also of wonder and of worship. And so I want to finish with the words of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul had, a, by our human standards, a big brain, right? But I love this little burst of praise from Paul in Romans 11. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? For from him and through him and for him are all things. And so to him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray um, as we finish this morning. Um, let, me, let me remind you, um, if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, um, there'll be a couple of people up here uh, at the front who would love to pray with you. Anything going on in your life or your heart.